Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Deader Dennis Maller, interviews artists and entertainers about their day jobs, talking about the things we have to do during the day to support what we want to do at night. Uh, on this podcast episode, we have a fun, interesting, very ADD-driven <laughs> conversation with comedian, musician, and record label creator of Side One Dummy, co-creator Joe Sib. Uh, I will talk about in the podcast how I discovered Joe Sib's band, Wax, uh, and his music. But uh, real quick, I want to tell you about how this interview came about. So a few months ago, uh, Joe Sib was touring with Lars Fredrickson, uh, who is one of the co-lead frontman singers of uh, the band Rancid. He does some solo stuff as well, Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards. And then he just does a solo thing all to himself. And he does spoken word tours, too. So Joe Sib was opening for him. They were coming here to the Middle East and Cambridge uh, in Massachusetts. And I reached out to Joe because I'm a fan of his. And again, wanted to talk to somebody who created a record label, somebody who is a musician, someone who is a comedian. Like he is all that wrapped up in one and very many other things. Uh, and uh, I wanted to help promote their show by talking to him. Um, this interview is also in conjunction with uh, my interview, uh, my article that will be printed in Dig Boston, which you can find at digboston.com right now. Uh, and I wanted to help them uh, promote the show by talking to Joe. And I emailed back and forth. Well, sorry, not back and forth. I emailed Joe multiple times trying to uh, schedule a date with him just to get him to say yes. Uh, and I wasn't getting any replies. Well, comes the day of the show. I wanted to go to the show. I ended up not going to the show because I got a trivia gig that night. Uh, fill in. Last minute trivia gig. And I can't pass up money. Uh, because as an entertainer. You got to take every gig uh, because I'm not rolling in that dough. I don't take a gig where I go, I'll, I'll make rent with this one gig and I don't have to worry about working the next week. No, I have to take everything that comes my way. And I want to. I like it. I enjoy it. Um, and so while I'm hosting trivia, I finish up, I'm leaving, and I look at my email, and there's an email from Joe Sib. He replied. And I'm like, oh, no. He wanted to do the interview, and I missed it. And I read the, the email, and uh, he goes, Hey, man, I'm so sorry I spaced and totally failed on this. If you still want to do the interview, we can do it remotely uh, when I get back home or something. We'll figure it out. And I was like, absolutely, dude. Uh, I heard the show was great. My friend saw you yesterday in Baltimore. You killed it. Uh, sorry I didn't make it. I was at my own show tonight, et cetera, et cetera. We will touch base and pick a date. So fast forward a few months because life gets in the way. I forget uh, and just can't really schedule anything. Um, Joseph is again coming back here to Boston to headline the oldest comedy club in Boston, Nick's Comedy Stop, uh, October 21st and 22nd. If you're in the New England area, highly recommend going to see Joseph live. Buy tickets, nickscomedystop.com. Uh, and again, wanted to help, wanted to talk to him in general, but also in conjunction, you know, help him out. Uh, so we emailed back and forth and it became one of those like, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Because we're trying to set down a date. And in fact, we nailed down a date finally and a time. And a few minutes before the time, I get a phone call from California and I answer the phone. And it's Joe Sib. I, got, I, I have Joe Sib's phone number. I'm not going to do anything with it. Just saying, you know, I got Joe Sib's phone number. Anyway, so he's like, hey, uh, sorry, dude. Doctor's appointment. Very important. Can't. 
make this? Can we reschedule another day? And I'm like, I can't. Uh, okay, yes, we can find a day. We find a day. We record it, and everything's good. It was an amazing conversation, by the way. Oh, my God. It was uh, so much fun. He's so energetic uh, that I love it. I mean, I am energetic. <laughs> this <laughs> Joseph blows me out of the water on energy, uh, and I love talking. Like, we just talked. Like, uh, fair warning. There's a lot of t- conversation about music on here. If you didn't come here for music, then uh, you don't support artists uh, because music is art. But uh, we have a lot of conversation about music, which I loved. Uh, honestly, I can tell you what. I could just have I, – I would just love to have a podcast where it's just Joe Sib and I listening to songs and then telling stories about the songs. That's what I would just love, love if we could do that. Uh, maybe we can make that happen. Maybe we can make it a radio show. Maybe we can make a podcast. Maybe it'll just only live in my dreams. And for the few moments that we shared similar incident like that on this podcast, either way, it was so much fun. And he's lived a very interesting life. He has a very interesting career and really great points of view about certain things that, uh, some of the deeper topics that we talk about later in the episode. So I really enjoy this one. And again, if you enjoy it, Please share it with a friend, hit that like button, subscribe, do all those things that we try to think that doesn't really matter, but they really do. It's very important um, to the success of this podcast and the success of all my guests. Um, If you enjoy what you're listening to, leave a comment on whatever it is platform that you listen to this podcast on. And, you know, if you want to go the extra mile, share it with a friend, share it on social media, tell people about the interesting people that you heard on this program. It would go a long way to helping me and, like I said, my guests because I'm bringing in interesting people because I want to showcase them to you. And if I want to share them with you, I want to share them with everybody else as well. So please uh, feel free to consider sharing this podcast with somebody, especially if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, eh, share it anyway. See if somebody else will like it. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening. We're going to go ahead right into the interview. So please enjoy my conversation with musician, comedian, and record label creator, Joe Sib. Yeah, man, it's, it's super cool. I use this in StreamYard a lot. Okay. Okay, so you're familiar with Scott. Okay. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I, use, I, I, I don't use StreamYard because there's a lot of like having to do things on the fly stuff. Uh, okay. And I'm already doing too much stuff. As you can see, I have a plethora of stuff in my, <laughs> in my yeah. little Boston podcast studio to play around with uh, that I often forget to make eye contact with the camera because I'm too busy twisting knobs and turning things. Yeah, uh, totally get it. Too many things. So uh, on that, well, since I have the studio, do you, uh, I don't know. Are you still doing the uh, that that Internet radio show? The basement. Are you still doing that? No, I haven't done that in a long time. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I stopped doing that a while ago. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing, um, you know, at the same time I was doing that, I was doing a lot of radio in LA. And then, um, and then, you know, I did that. I did a radio show on Indy 1031. And that was super cool. And then I went to this station called Alt 98.7. I was there for a long time. And then it was like when I started doing radio, like, you know, Spotify and streaming really wasn't where it is today. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden it wasn't so special to be playing whatever you wanted on the radio because you can just, you know, do that at home. You know, you can just, you know, you can make a playlist and stream whatever you want. So it wasn't like a big deal, you know, to hear like, uh, you know, whether it was like a new track from Band of Horses or an old track from like Black Flags. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like 
it, it, when I first started doing, when I got into radio, we didn't have the streaming that we have now. So it, it was way more special to say someone to hear Elvis Costello, you know, a, a track. And then for me to throw in a new track, it was, you know, now you can just do that. Like, I mean, I never listened to the radio. Like, and I, and I, I love the radio <laughs> growing up, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine being in my car right now and being like, oh, cool. I'm going to listen to what they, they're going to want me to hear Boston for the millionth time. And then, <laughs> oh, we're going to hear, we're going to hear sublime again. Oh, cool. And then the red hot chili peppers. All right, I'm done. I'm out. You know, it's like, it's just, and I, and no diss to those bands, you know, like they're all great. But I, I would never want to spend any time listening to that in my car. I want to listen to whatever I want. So that's why I'll, I think everyone's always listening to a podcast or you're making a playlist. Or if you want to listen to jazz, you're John Coltrane. Oh, let's listen to all these B-sides. Okay, cool. That's interesting because I started in uh, traditional uh, terrestrial radio uh, because I wanted to change the sound of radio. I wanted to put all the alternative band. Like I grew up, I mean, you're, you're punk, you know, you, you and the alternative scene, I'm sure you remember heritage alt station whfs out in yeah Washington, absolutely DC. that's the station i grew up with and i moved from that from 98 rock to them as a kid because i'm like oh they're playing things that 98 rock will never play and that's what i wanted here i wanted to hear this you know songs by the band dogs die in hot cars which i have to make sure that's a band name or i want to <laughs> see you know hear uh 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 little little sister by um uh ass pony or, you know, the um, Bitchin' Camaro by the Dead Nomad. They were playing those things and nobody else was. And that's what I wanted to hear. And that's why I got into radio to try and change the face of that. And then very quickly realized that is never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. And I also think, I also think at that point too, like I said, Spotify wasn't around. Uh, SoundCloud wasn't around. All, all YouTube, all that stuff that we can listen to now. And you can put together your own playlist. You can listen to whatever you want. That didn't exist. And at that point, hearing you know the dead milkman on the radio that was a big deal like huge. wow this is a band that i'm never going to hear and now i'm hearing him in my car over the airwaves that was a huge deal that isn't the case right now anymore because you can listen to so much music on your own and that's why so many bands that you may have never heard of are doing so well you're like you'll go to a venue and there'll be a line around the block you'll be like who is this band i've never heard of them they've never been on the radio they've never had maybe even a record out. It's all off of SoundCloud. It's all off of streaming. It's all off of YouTube and they're selling tickets and they're selling merch and they have a career. That part of it is so exciting. Uh, so for radio, I understand when I go to a radio station, it's heartbreaking because when I used to go to radio, you walk in and there's a receptionist and, and then there's this great office and then there's this great room. Now they're, it's it's sad sometimes when you go into a radio station and it's just a lost art because I do feel like a great radio host is still so important to turning people onto new music and connecting the music community in that city. And a lot of times I just don't, I don't see that as much as I did, especially when I was growing up. Cause when I was growing up, you know, e even like out in Boston with, you know, Oedipus and all that, I mean, you know, that guy was responsible for playing the Ramones and, and, when I lived in, in uh, Southern California, Rodney, Rodney on the rock, he was responsible for breaking Van Halen and as well as playing so many bands. And, and that was the only medium that you got music on. But I got to say now with everything that we have at our fingertips, all the streaming, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, it's so cool to find new bands. You know, my son is in a band and it's, and he'll put music up on SoundCloud. And you're like, wow, thousand people listened to your music yesterday 
you know, out of your bedroom. Like, okay. You know, like that's huge. That's good because I always worry that without the curation that radio and MTV and radio gave us curation. They told people, here's the things you should be listening to. And you had different voices picking different things for people to listen to. Like so many radio stations across the country were telling people to, li- to listen to Liz Fair's Exile and Guyville, but being unable to play Exile and Guyville because it was too dirty to play on the radio. And I worry that we're losing that curation when it comes to streaming and that all we're going to default to is the more popular things uh, or things that are easily digestible and not the independent things. But if you still see, if you still see that it's a good avenue for uh, discovery, then that's great because that's what I want. I think it's a great avenue for discovery. But what I think you have to do is you have to pick and choose who your tastemakers are, who your curator is, because there still are the curators, the playlists that exist, whether it's a playlist on uh, on a on a SoundCloud, whether it's a playlist on Spotify that you you connect with, you know, uh, Dorkzilla seventy seven. Wow, <laughs> they're really into these types of bands and they every week they're posting a new playlist. Oh my God, I love this. I want to check it out. Hey, this person's a huge fan of indie music. Hey, this person's a, a huge fan of metal. This person's a huge fan of punk rock for 2022. I'm going to look at what they're curating. I think all of that stuff still exists. It's just there isn't when, when and, and I hate saying this, when I was growing up, you know, but it's like, you know, when you're 55 years old, that's a perk to telling people, you know what, man, face it. I've been around a while. And if you don't like it, there's not much you can do about it because I hate to tell you, that's the way all this stuff came together. I was there and so many other people were when we would listen to K-Rock in Los Angeles because every night, every you know, whether it was Sunday night or whether it was during the week with Richard Blade or whether it was with Rodney on the Rock or, you know, Oedipus out in Boston or, you know, Jim McGuinn in Philly, you listen to it because these people, you respected their opinion in music. That's why you listen to them. It wasn't, you know, you know, you weren't, you weren't listening to these stations because you were like, you knew what went on behind the scenes that the rep for Atlantic Records came in and said, hey man, we need to get some, uh, uh, Stone Temple Pilots on the air right now, and we got to pitch them this way. Oh, okay, cool, boom, here you go. Um, but it was all about people turning you genuinely on to music that you loved, you know. And I think one of the things that still does exist, and you just have to spend time finding it, is finding those people that um, are the curators and are the tastemakers. And the good news is now you could be a person living in Indiana, and you just have a great podcast turning people on to music and, and that, and there's nothing, there's no skin in the game except you want people to hear great music. And there's a thousand of those people doing it. And it's really all about finding that person that turns you on to it that you're like, Oh wow. Every week I watch this guy's podcast or I watch this, you know, woman's podcast and they, they, they turn me on to these new bands and I listen to I go and I listen to their, I, by the next week. I want to hear it again. And when I was growing up as a kid, we had maximum rock and roll that was on, you know, I think Max Rock and Roll was on every Thursday night with Tim Yohannan. It was out of Berkeley. You know, they were on this underground college station and they came on there. And it was the first place I ever heard bands like The Addicts or Cron Gen or Youth Brigade, just all of these bands, because th- their job was to go on the radio for three hours and turn people on to all this new music. They were curators. They weren't gatekeepers, but they were definitely people that I respected what they were into. And the reason I respected it was because they ran Maxim Rock and Roll magazine. And whether or not you liked Maxim Rock and Roll or didn't like it, you did respect it because you're like, 
wow, that's like a real thing that comes out every month and they have a scene report from every single city. And this guy's telling me I should check out, um, you know, uh, anti nowhere league. Okay. I'm going to listen. And you, you know, I found out of so many bands that way. So I feel that where we are now, I, I do dig the fact that there's a lot of music out there. Um, there's a lot of great music. There's a lot of music that's not so great, but <laughs> you know, I'm not going to focus on that. I, 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 I'm, you know, I don't, I don't, I just never want to be that guy. That's like, I just wish that the radio, you know, it's like, it's done. You know, it, I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I, it, you know, even the music business is so different now and, and, and everything is, but that isn't that life. It's, it's, you know, I don't want to be a museum piece just sitting there going, I remember this, you know, like it, it, I want to hear about the, I'm the other night I was in New York and I was in this, this club, this bar. And it was, it was, it was, um, the buddy that owns the bar is longtime friend of mine, Jesse Mallon. And, you know, him and I have grown up together and his partner, Johnny T, you know, we've known each other for years and, and we were obviously, they own this club and, you know, we're in there and he's like, they, they're, they said, Hey man, come down. You got to see this band, you know? And I was like, okay. And I went into their club, dude, I look like I was a cop in there because I was <laughs> so old, you know, and I'm walking around and, and, uh, and, and I'm hanging out and, uh, and I remember it was energy and just kids you know, one guy's climbing across this pipe through the you know middle of the club and singing, and then another you know there's a pit kind of opening up, but it's like a very polite pit. So I was I was like, wow, okay, that's mm -hmm. cool, and everyone's just going for it. And then at that point, at some point, the singer he goes behind the drums and he and there's this huge mirror that the club had, and and he you know does something crazy and he breaks the mirror, and you know the crowd's going crazy. And then after the show, we're sitting there and. uh the kid comes over to my friend who owns the club and he's like, man, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry I broke that mirror. And he's expecting this older man to like go, yep. And you're going to pay for it. He's like, no way, man. That was awesome. I love that you broke that mirror. I was wondering when someone would finally break it. And the kid just looked at us like, these guys are nuts. And we're like, yeah, breaking shit is awesome. Like break everything. And, um, you know, kids don't think that way anymore. They're like, break everything. No, let's, let's, fix everything. You know, I went and saw this band the other night and I go to this club and it was the opposite where the band was so friggin' nice on stage. They were just like, they're from like Australia and they were just like, you know, today we woke up and, and I can't do an Australian accent, but there it sounds more English. They were like, you know, and then the sun came out and we, we said to each other, we should just tonight not swear during the day. Cause it'll just make the energy of our life so much better during the day for the show here. And was so, I was like, so you woke up and it was sunny and you just, you just declared we shouldn't swear the whole day. <laughs> and now here you are. And it made me go, I'm going to try that tomorrow. Like I'm going to wake up and not do that. They were just, so I love, you know, I love watching the progression of the um, entertainment world continue to grow and progress and i love seeing the progression of the bands and it's watching these young kids come in and do it and whether they're breaking a mirror or being super polite like all of these kids in the polite band i was like i'm taking you guys you need to meet my daughter because i would love for each one of you to marry her because i want to <laughs> spend thanksgiving with you guys like these guys they're so polite and they're in overalls on stage and they're so nice you know thanking the audience constantly I love so, that, that he wakes up, looks at the sun and goes, hey, this sun is so beautiful. We're not going to curse today. Instead of, 
waking up, looking at the sun, just going, fuck yeah, the sun's out. That, see, that's what I would do. <laughs> see, that's been my, that's the 55 years of my life since I could talk. Fuck yeah, this is a fucking <laughs> awesome sunny day today. Dude, let's fuck shit up. You know, like, so, you know, I was like, I love this kid. I was like, wow, this is cool. And I always, you know, I joke about that on stage all the time. The, my generation, oh my gosh, morons! You know, it's just yeah. just embarrassing. Um, well, this that- generation, I love. They're smart. They're you know they, uh, you know they, um, they're smart, man. They're not on the rampage of you know rebel without a cause that I think a lot of you know we were when we were growing up. But you know, we were also growing up in the eighties and parents were divorced and mom brought a new boyfriend home and dad seeing someone super young. I'm pissed. You know, we are pissed. Yeah. Gen uh, Xers, us Gen X, we were the generation that had to figure out how to live in a divorced family. Cause totally. prior to us, divorce was so taboo. It happened so rarely. Whereas me growing up with a parents who never divorced, I was the rarity in my school. Totally. You know, I think, I think you nailed it, man. And I also think that, uh, as people figured it out, you know, this generation, I mean, they got, they have their own hurdles. You know, we were a generation that didn't grow up with, in, you know, we didn't grow up with technology and social media and Instagram. And in 2009, that all changed. And, you know, there's a reason why suicide amongst teenagers is through the roof and why you have so many kids in and out of rehab. And I mean, the it's at epidemic proportions, you know, and if you have a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, then, you know, that that's not a part of your life. But I mean, there's a direct correlation with social media and just a a wall of just bad negative implications from social media on our youth. And and it's just, and if you don't think so, then you're lying to yourself because it's wrecked kids. And, you know, hopefully I always wonder if there's going to be like a, a, like, just like, uh, I wonder if we're going to ever have like a reboot where all of a sudden, you know, it's all gone. Like, you know, like when I was growing, like a style of music, you know what I'm saying? You know, like when ska had like a huge moment, like, yeah, dude, fucking, if I don't have a saxophone and a tie on, I'm lame, you know, (laughs) you know, and for a moment there, people that were playing, you know, guitar were probably like, man, I should pick up the clarinet. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you really like, okay. Boss Tones are at Radio City Music Hall. What's going on? Mustard Plug's bigger than ever. Real Big Fish. Okay. You know, specials are back together. Come on. You know, Big D in the Kids Table. I love that record. Like, here you go. And then you thought, okay, we're ne- I'm never gonna, not going to hear. I'm never, <laughs> never going to hear this again. There was a moment in time in music where you never thought you'd hear. You never thought you'd hear down picking, muting. You never. You're like, next thing I know, I'm going to listen to Metallica and they're just going to be like, pick it up, pick it up. You know, just like, <laughs> you know, you thought like James, pick it up. You know, like you're just like, oh man, here we go. And there was a moment in time where you thought that was okay. It, it's ska for life. I'm wondering if we'll ever, if that'll be with social media. Like at a certain point, we'll be like, dude, remember when we were all on Instagram posting short videos and throwing our opinions out on things that we shouldn't have had opinions on and pretending it was important and trying to be, you know, getting more followers. And now look at us. We don't even do that anymore. Like, I wonder if that'll, 
Man, that'd be a good post. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, all I'm thinking about now is I can't, I want to see James Hetfield learn the trumpet and play Ender Sandman. Be like, exit light. Boop, 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 Pick boop. it up. Baby. Yeah. And <laughs> tonight. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. I just want to hear with Horn, like, instead of like, dun, 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 I want to be like, yeah, that's what I want to hear. And the Boston's did do a cover of of Metallica, and they put yeah, they no did. horns in it whatsoever. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I like this version, but it's not the version I wanted from you, Dickie and Joe. I I want to say that there was a, um, but you know what though, kind of is the version you wanted because what I love about the Boston's is they knew, hey, no horns on this one, guy. You guys got to sit down for a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a great video though of them doing that in Denver, and I think James Hetfield played it with. Them. I don't know. I th I'm pretty sure. I remember seeing a video of look. Can you look that up in front of you right now? Yeah, it's Metallica. I want to say it's I was going to say it for later, but we'll look it up right now. Is it up there? Yeah, I'm gonna I want to uh, say. Where's my mouse? I have too many there screens in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I want to say um, they did enter Sam enter Sandman, and um, and I think at one point they were both in Denver at the same time, and I think James came out and did it with him. I think. I don't know. Does it come up? Uh, extended James Hetfield takes a Metallica new album. No, uh, Joe nope. Gilman of the Boston's on the bands. Uh, nope, I rewind. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm lying. Uh, uh, look, I know they added because they did a whole album of covers and they did, uh, um. James Hetfield on the news, hip to be the Sandman, Metallica, Enter Sandman. It does not look. Hey, yeah. for everyone listening to us right now, sorry, because right now everyone's like, dude, you guys, it's not there. If it's is not it, up at the top, then it's not there. This is anyway, so for this, <laughs> yeah, so for this particular, for this particular uh, moment in time, when you use a clip for, uh, to promote this, because I assume you will, um, just uh, do the whole clip of um, our talk about how, uh, for a moment in time, ska was it yeah. oh it's it's that's go i mean i am an old school rude boy i be i bleed two-tone uh this was go. the conversation that i wanted to have with somebody so yes it, it just happened to be you but yes i'm I, I mean we're right now just to not get too distracted uh but we are in i the the beginnings i think of a ska revival and i think some of it is ironic although i think some of it is a in Ernst, like I was just listening to, you just signed a new band called Cliff Diver. Um, and I was listening to them and I'm like, oh my God, they sound like a n late nineties, early two thousands pop punks kind of ska band, but they sound like they're doing it ironically, but they don't yeah. know that they're being ironic. <laughs> yeah. And I like yeah. it. Well, yeah. You know, I think a lot of new bands, that's what I love. Like once again, you know, there always was, in the eighties, you were a punk band, you were a metal band. You could never be a punk band and a metal band. Oddly mm -hmm. enough, we just talked about boss tones where they were a ska punk and metal band all combined, which made the hybrid that much awesomer. Um, is that a word? Awesomer. Anyway, it just, they were so great. Uh, and I think now with like what you said with like cliff diver and different bands like that, I think, I think now when you're in a band, you just have so many different styles of music to pull from to make your band. You know, you, you can, you can be like, oh man, I grew up on hardcore. I grew up on pop. I grew up on blink 182. I'm in a band and I'm going to write a song that has all of those elements in it. I mean, that's, that's what I think is super cool there. It, it isn't defined where you just have to be one band. You're a metal band that I don't, I mean, obviously that still exists where there's a band that's just a metal band. There's a band that's just a punk band, but I do feel 
there's so many more hybrids now of different bands. And, and for me, that's, I love that type of stuff. You know, like, you know, even at Side One Dummy, the bands that we signed, Gaslight Anthem was such a hybrid of, of for some people, they were like, yeah, it's kind of like Social Distortion and Alkaline Trio. And for other people like me, it was like, nah, I'm not really hearing that. I'm hearing like Springsteen, Dylan type stuff here, you know? Um, you know, I, I'm hearing, um, you know, kind of a 50s vibe to it too with, with the, the production on that record. So once again, it was a hybrid, you know, it was, it was those guys growing up and, uh, you know, Benny growing up in the hardcore scene and, you know, of course, Brian growing up in the punk rock world and them coming together and, and also saying, we all love the cure, you know, like I just felt like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you'd listen to that record and you're like, oh my gosh, this, these, these lines that Alex, you know, is playing on guitar, they're, they're so melodic, you know, where's he coming from? You know, and I, and I feel like once again, a hybrid of a lot of different influences. I think you nailed the Gaslight Anthem sound of if you took Social Distortion, uh, Bruce Springsteen and The Cure and wrapped them together. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Gas, that's Gaslight Anthem. That is yeah. the best you take way to the lyric, them. You take, the, you take the edge and the bite of a Social Distortion, you take the lyrics and the vibe and the, the mental, uh, I always felt like Brian's lyrics tell such great stories and then you wrap it around hanging out with the cure i think that's i think that would always be something that it was just unique and different so that's what i love about music with bands when they put so many different different styles of music in it and make it unique hybrid that's what i love i love hearing that from you because i was a person that also said that i never want to be the old guy that says my music was better than your music now so I always yeah. try to keep an ear open. It never for makes you look stuff. cool. No, it doesn't. never makes you look cool. You it, know, it's it same never... thing with people who are like, oh, the best SNL cast was when I was 13. Like, no, I... there's always been good casts. Yeah. The reason that's the best SNL cast for you was because you were allowed to stay up late for the first time. That's why, <laughs> you know, like in sure. Okay. I get it. You know, the, the original, like I was there, you know, I watched it as a kid, the original uh, cast was great, but you know, there's been, with SNL, man, I'll still turn it on. And whether one thing doesn't hit or does hit, there's always something for me that I'm going to laugh at. And it's Saturday Night Live. And yeah, you know, I mean, especially even with know, this current I, cast, like Sarah Schaefer has been one of the most original cast members with her style of comedy, I think, in, in, in so long. Like, it's so refreshing watching her in her first few episodes try to find her footing and watch them try to utilize her and find what how her weirdness works within the cast. And then by the end of the season... It was like, oh, this is what she is. This is what she can do. This is her brilliance right here on display. And I, I love seeing that. Um, I mean, and I feel like that's the same thing with music in the sense that like, if you're only going to talk about the stuff that was in the past, then man, you know, unless you're checking out today, that's going to be a long run of no future stuff to look forward to. I mean, I love music, you know, like there's no, you know, you, you know, you look behind me, I got a picture of the Ramones, I got GBH, you know, it's like, I got a social distortion photo I'm looking at right now, but it's like, you know, I love all that stuff, but that's just, it's super personal to me, but I'm not jamming that. Like I'm not getting in my car and going, all right, man, I want to listen to London calling for the millionth time. But you know, it's like, you know, recently, um, I forgot, you know, a lot of times, you know, like, there's different people I work with and I'll just be like, send me what you're listening to. Cause I just want to hear it. And a lot of times I'll listen to it one time through They'll send me a playlist and I'm like, oh, okay, I like this. I like that. Like the other day I found this band. What was this thing that my friend sent me? It was like, I was like, dude, I need something to like 
work to and like you know listen like you know and he sent me let me see here what was it it was like this new like piano dude okay lambert dude it was gnarly like check it out like and i might be totally late to the party but he was like yeah dude listen to this and i was like okay cool so then like you know like here i'll put something on like Can you hear it's that? So eerie. I like it. It's dude. It's it's like a, and look at the front of it. Looks like The Shining or something, right? Like this guy has. His, I mean, I don't know what. I, I mean, like I don't know. He has like horns on his head. It looks very like. I hope I'm not listening to like some Matt Skiba satanic, you know, something. Like I hope I'm not like, oh, dude, you're going to hell now. What? <laughs> no, you can't hear it behind. That's Satan playing that piano. Like shit, turn it off. You know, like, but I don't know. Like I, I, I you know, that was from a friend friend turning me on so that's lambert i've been really into that um oh and then but then dude like you know like one of my favorite jams right now is uh and it's so lame why is it okay here we go um dude like every once in a while i'll just like you know like this has been one of my favorite this you know this cannibal alley prepared for adversity when it happens sometimes we're caught short we don't know exactly i love all these live jazz recordings Sometimes we don't know just what to do. Dude, all your listeners are like, dude, this guy's listening to piano and jazz? What, what are we doing? I thought we were getting into punk rock. Yeah. But dude, I'll tell you right now, right now, another thing that I, I was I was at the store the other day, and I'm, I do Shazam all the time. Like, dude, what's this song? I have that with me all the time. People think I'm so weird because wherever I am, if you don't know what Shazam is, you know, you're just seeing a guy take his phone and he's just trying to go like, they're like what is this guy Walking around doing? in the air trying to get, yeah. it looks like you're, you're trying to get a signal back in 2002. Yeah, it, looks, yeah, it looks like, it looks like, does he know that this is, that, that, that we're five G's and this is frying our brains? Like he knows it's working, right? Like I'm just sitting there waving my phone around and, uh, but like the other day I heard this song that I hadn't heard in ages and it was this song by, this is by uh, Blondie. And it's this song, Atomic. Here we go. Dude, I played this on a trip in Boston. And I, I was so into this song and I played it like six times a day. And my girlfriend was like, if you play that song again, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, no, we got to listen to it again. Pre-pandemic, I, uh, I saw... Uh, I, this song specifically sticks in my head because I saw them do it live on a co-headlining tour with Elvis Costello to bring it back to uh, um, and, oh, and Elvis was goddamn amazing. And I hate to say this. I, I like Blondie, but they don't have what it was. Like when they reformed back in the, like 2005 or 2006, we were like, oh shit, Debbie Harry still has it. She doesn't have it anymore. She, really? Okay. Yeah, her voice isn't holding up. up. Guitar player isn't. He, like, he, just, he sits on the stool and just plays the entire time. Like it was yeah. a fun show because but of Clem Burke on Clem Burke on drums though he delivers. Uh, Clem Burke the drummer. I'm sure he did. I I don't yeah. remember the two, I, I only remember the things that I didn't yeah. that that made me sad. That's such like, a bummer. Like her voice is there, out. but it's not the range it's it used to be. She just yeah. does like weird old woman shimmies on stage, and I'm like, oh yeah. But then, right, he's this is you know Elvis comes out and he's the same age, and he's playing guitar on every song, singing on every song throughout the entire night and his banter's on point. 
his energy's on point. Everything he's doing on point is just, I guess, you know, everyone ages differently. And I've seen yeah. Elvis again a couple months ago, uh, uh, back in July, again since that day, pre, you know, like 2000, it was Dude, 2019. Even, then I saw him a few months ago. Yeah. And he still has it. Like, it's lovely to see a guy in his 60s, almost 70. I think he's what, 66, 67? Favorite song. I saw Elvis Costello's sushi restaurant once. <laughs> Dude, do you ever watch his show, um, Spectacle, Elvis Costello with? You know what's funny is, remember the guy Jesse Mallon I was talking yeah. to you about? So his buddy was the producer or director on that. I've never seen it, but I've heard all the stories behind all of it. Okay. All right, then you know better. Yeah. Then you know the stories better than I do, but I will say- well, No, no, no. And you, no. Just so you know, no, no. You, you probably, like, I went out to dinner- you know, like I said, whenever I go to New York, this 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 guy, and if you're listening, check out Jesse Mound's music. It's amazing. I'm just thinking about Jesse so much because we literally did a song together. Um, a buddy of ours, Howie Pyro, passed away uh, like earlier this year, and they did a benefit in New York, and we just did a benefit. I don't, I shouldn't say we, they did a benefit, and I got asked to sing a song. So fun, but Jesse organized the whole thing. But, you know, if you go to New York City, at least when I go there, Jesse's like the mayor of New York, and he just... He's like, we're going here, we're going there. Okay, bop, 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 bop. And we roll in and his buddy Alex produced that show with with uh, Elvis Costello. And I'm, you know, when, when people are just talking and they're talking about people like Elvis Costello and they have these real stories. And at that moment, I'm realizing like, Joe, you have no story. Just be quiet and listen to them. <laughs> this guy's talking about Elvis Costello giving him a Christmas gift. He's giving him a gift. They're going to dinner. And I'm, I'm just like, okay. Wow. This, are we really? We're hanging out with Elvis Costello? Enough. It's too It's too much. Dude, I would tell you, watching Sting and Elvis play Allison together. Oh. Sent chills up my spine. I have, I have the hair is standing on my arm just thinking about it. Like, yeah. And also, here's what was beautiful about the show is he's not an interviewer. He was just having conversations with his musical friends. Like, yeah. listening to him interview the band, uh, the police, talk to Sting, to talk to Stewart, talk to, um, whatever the guitar player, Sumner, something, no, uh, yeah. whatever, Andy Summers, Andy Summers. I knew his yeah. summer something. Anyway, uh, and Andy talked to them individually about growing up just London, London punks and like yeah. them Sting, Elvis Costello and the, uh, and the clash all went to go see the Ramones perform in London for the first time all together, just as fans of the band. Like, yeah, those are the stories that I love hearing oh, yeah. and stuff. And that's like, dude, do you, do you ever listen Rosanna to Ka Rosanna Cash uh, and Chris Christopherson and John Mellencamp, John, no Cougar Mellencamp talked yeah. to the three of them about Bakersfield country and Johnny Cash and all this stuff was like, that is like, this is a beautiful show that will fall in so many deaf ears because I don't know if people can appreciate the nuance of these relationships as much as yeah. other people. I mean, those, those, those type of interviews, like you're, the way you're describing Elvis Costello reminds me so much of the reason why I love Steve Jones and his interviews. I don't know if you ever listened to Jonesy's jukebox when it was on Indy one Oh three one and uh, Steve Jones of the pistols. He would do these interviews. Same thing. Just, it wasn't even interviews as much as, you know, I remember one time he had Robert plant on there from, you know, Zeppelin and, you know, he's just talking to Robert plant about, growing up and just when they met each other and how Johnny Lydon like, you know, got down on his hands and knees in front of like him and Bonham and like, was like mimicking like, Oh, we're not worthy type thing. And like how it took everything and 
and Robert Plant's like body not to kick Johnny Rotten in the head or something <laughs> like that, you know, and Steve Jones just laughing. And then like, the, you know, just Jonesy and him start talking and the weirdest thing, Robert Plant starts talking about how he liked GBH. And I was just like, what? Cause as you, you know, like right behind me, there's a picture of Colin and, uh, and, uh, jock, uh, up there, you know, from their first tour of America. And, uh, and I was just like, what? Like Robert Plant knew who GBH was and liked him. Like, quoting songs i was just like okay made me love you know i was never like a zeppelin fan but at that point i was like okay i'm in you know and and now on since we're talking music let's talk about your music career because if a half hour of us geeking out on on music Dude, we just geeked enough. out we, i want to apologize for everyone that listens to your podcast i am so sorry dave try dave invited me on here because the reason i'm on here at all is because i'm going to be at nick's comedy corner in uh in october 21st and 22nd i think yes. and i'm you know it's i gotta sell 200 tickets and it's not looking good it's not we looking got time. good you guys we're gonna fill those seats don't worry but no it's not looking good you know i've reached out to ken casey i've been like ken just can you post a video of mine on the dropkick murphy's uh page so we're trying to get that to happen um but yeah come and see me do stand up and uh that'll be fun but okay now let's talk yes. so the well, first we just wasted 36 minutes of your time i apologize <laughs> the, no i, do I don't still think, think this was a waste i don't think i, I think still people do, i still think are gonna our, hear your passion for music because you're not just it. a huge fan of music you're actually a musician yourself and that's how i discovered you and i know i will uh, the way i discovered your band wax was by oh there's a oh uh, do you have your own action figure i have one. Oh, is that My jt friend? JT, yes, JT Haberset sent that to you. Nice, yes. And the best part is, it says comes comes with a comb. Comes with, <laughs> it says comes with a comb, bro. JT Haberset, a uh, fellow Include, punk rock musician turned includes, comedian, includes a comb, and he made me one. There you go, fellow uh, uh for a former punk rocker turned comedian, J ha JT Haberset is also a custom toys maker too. I've been trying to get Solid him on dude. this to talk about toy making. He's like. I don't have anything to say about it. I just do it. I was like, all right, fair enough, JT. But um, so he's very passionate. I, he is. I found, so I discovered your band wax uh, because of your big, huge music video for California, um, which was directed by Spike Jones. And I think everyone of our age would, will remember the music video. No offense to you. When I say they will remember the music video more than they will remember the band who did it. Oh, absolutely. There's no way you're going to remember the band, but you're like, I've seen that video. It is, absolutely. It is a what, two and a half minute song, uh, a, a pop punk song or like a skate punk song. And the entire music video is just a guy running down the street on fire. Practical, practical effect. No, no CG, none of it. They lubed a dude up with fire gel, put a coat on him, lit him on fire. And he just ran down the street. I think I remember listening to so many interviews with Spike Jones talking about that. Like that video took what? 13 seconds to film. Yeah. It was something like, I think it might've been, you know, 20 something like he just ran by all of us on fire. And it, it, I always used to joke around. It was like, if a barbecue ran by you, <laughs> you know, and I will tell you this, I will never forget, uh, Loomis, your drummer's face that he's just standing there in that, that weird hunched over position as, as the car drives past him as the guy. Yeah. Goes by, and he's just yeah. staring at the camera. That image yeah. is burned into my brain. I will never forget yeah. that. Uh, when that, you are, Music video came out huge, huge deal. It was shocking to huge. everyone. Um, which First music video where they had to have a, uh, they had to have a, they had to have a on MTV. It was the first. So whenever basically if you're you about. young enough or old enough, 
when you watch Jackass, they used to always have this little thing that would come up. Don't try any of these stunts at home. These are done by a professional. The Wax Spike Jones fire video was the first video ever in the history of MTV that they needed to play a pre-recorded message telling people, do not do this at home because MTV was convinced that they would watch the wax video and that kids would light themselves on fire and run down the street. <laughs> and, you know, as we know, the story went on spike, you know, one of the original jackass members was Loomis, our yep. drummer in, you know, in wax. So we already started, you know, messing around or not me, those guys, I can't take credit <laughs> for that. We, they already started messing around with stunts and lighting things on fire and jumping out of cars and, you know, all that type of stuff when we were a band. So like, you know, and Johnny Knoxville, he was just at that point, he was just a dude um, that just hung out. You know, he was just a buddy of ours. He wasn't even Johnny Knoxville at that point. You know, he was, God, what was his, what's his real name? I'm spacing on right now, but you know, he would just, he would just hang out, you know, and you'd be like, oh, no way, man, what's up? You know, and, and he was, and he was a guy that he had a girlfriend and they were like both trying to be actors and actresses and they were going out on auditions and, you know, they were, they were doing their thing and, his name was PJ. There you go. Philip John and, um, Clapp. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so we called him PJ. Hey, PJ. And he would show up and Wax would, you know, he'd always have a beer and just hanging out. And he was just PJ and he was just cool. And then Spike at that point was just a dude I met that took photographs and skated. And we, he, our bass player lived it. They lived in this little house. And um, we would all meet at this one uh, Arco on uh, La Brea and Melrose. And uh, Spike and I would skate the curb while we had like a band meeting. And at that point it was just all about like, yeah, let's take some photos. And Spike was always down. He always just, he was just always, you know, it, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, after we did that video for the whole reason that whole video came up, came about too, is because, you know, just sidebar really quick. Um, well, it won't be really quick, but so <laughs> sidebar, we, we, when our band got signed, we were originally signed to one label and we got dropped. So we got, we were in this, limbo for like maybe a year and there were th that video and that record should have never came out because you know we were done the record label that originally signed us dropped us but by hard work and determination we ended up getting signed again and one of the things that at that point that we were dropped spike's career exploded it was breeders beastie boys weezer you know not in that order but just it just blew up and one of the things Spike said to me, because the first video he ever did for a band was our band, Wax, in Chicago. It's for this video called Hush. You can look it up. It's pretty funny. Um, and that was the first time like we hired him. Like, he hadn't been hired, and we hired him. Like, hey, you're going to do our video for Caroline Records. So he made the video. Needless to say, uh, when we got dropped, you know, our career stopped. His career just went through the roof. And we would see each other periodically. And he said to me, he goes, hey, man, if you can get, you know, if you, if you can get wax back up and running and, you know, a label and do everything, you know, like, like I'll, I'm there to do the video for you. Like, let's do it. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. So when we got re-signed to Interscope, I said, you know, let me make a call to Spike. He'll do the video for us. And sure. He's like, dude, I'm in, let's do it. And that was just, you know, that was, that was crazy because, you know, that should have never have happened, you know? And then fast forward to, we go on with our career. And of course, our career stops, you know, again, when the band breaks up, but Spike goes on to do movies and, you know, he gets the Academy Award and, you know, he does the whole thing, you know, and um, I'll never forget, like he won the award and now fast forward, this is like right after he kind of won it. And um, 
I don't know what year that was that he won it, but I was living in Glendale, California, and there's a skateboard park by my house. And at night, I would go over there. And in the fall, it's great. Like they left the lights on till like 10 o'clock at night. And I just put a flannel on, you know, your helmet, and you're just skating around. It's just a perfect, you know, fall night in California. And there'd be no one there because the kids all skated and they're at home now. And I remember I'm skating in there and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big park, but not huge. And, you know, you'd go there and there'd be one, you know, you may see one guy in one corner, another guy in another corner, and you're kind of like skating by each other, but you know, you're not, you're not talking, you know? And I remember I'm skating around and there's another dude in there, just one other guy and me, and we're skating together for, you know, we're not skating together, but we're skating past each other. And at a certain point, we kind of cross each other's. And I look at him and he looks at me and at the same time. I'm all spike. He's all Joseph. And I go, no fucking way. And, you know, he had just won that award. And, and I was like, you know, we sat there and we talked and we caught up and we skated and, and, and then, you know, we said goodbye. And, and as I was going home that night, I was like, wow, man, like, first of all, like, you know, and Glendale in LA is, you got to remember that's like, that's like running into like, you know, you're, you're like, you know, you're living in New York. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go out to Jersey to the sticks, you know, to go, you know, to crossroads or something, you know, and I'm going to see, and then you walk in there and, 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 you know, there's, there's like, you know, I don't know, Tim from Rancid just sitting there. You're like, what are you doing here? You know, I came to see the band, you know, it was just so surreal that he was in Glendale skating this park and he, you know, had just won this award and he was still doing 50 fifties, you know, I was just like, <laughs> that's so rad. And we just talked and shot the shit and that was it. When the uh, when you guys got that uh, disclaimer put on your video, was that a bummer moment or is that a badge of pride? Fuck yeah, badge <laughs> of pride, dude. Badge of pride, man. Loved it. I mean, dude, it made everyone watch the video. I mean, dude, you got to remember, you know, MTV was the Bible at that point. Everyone sat around and watched it all day long, and then all of a sudden, you know, before this video plays, it has this 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 letter from MTV saying what you're about to see, please do not try at home. This is done by a professional. And then they go into your band. I mean, what is more punk rock than that? It was awesome. And then, and then it would to make it even better was when it got on Beavis and Butthead and they went nuts, you know, they just, they couldn't even, he couldn't contain himself. So yeah, that to the, the wax video for me is, is my, I, I always say it's like, you know, I'll, you know, dude, I still get introduced the other night. I'm at this uh, benefit or, you know, for Howie. Okay, man, coming to sing, you know, it's Joseph from wax. And I'm like, what? Like, dude, no one knows who that band is, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I'm still, you know, doing that. And, you know, and it's like, I mean, you know, people, it's funny because with comedy people that are, you know, that, that they, when I do, you know, I've been doing comedy so long, people don't even know half the time or not even all the time that I was ever even a band or, you know, cause I'm not like on stage talking about, you know, music or anything. And every once in a while to this day, like, you know, I'll get off stage and it'll be someone that you can just see the look on their face. Like, Oh shit. I saw you open for the Boston's or I saw you on tour with Bush or I saw you, I saw wax here. Or, I saw 22 Jacks. And that always stokes me. Cause there's, you can just see that look on their face. Cause they went to a comedy show and then they're like, wait a minute, I've seen this guy sing, you know? Mm -hmm. So well, that's the thing that I, every interview I listen to, I hear musicians constantly say there's two things that were huge or all right, the three things that are the three biggest moments in bands careers is the first time they hear their song on the radio. Mm -hmm. If their song gets parodied by weird Al. <laughs> and the other one is when their music video showed up on Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Those are the three big moments in, uh, you know, musicians careers. I got for two us. of them. <laughs> I got two of them. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, it, you know, being on 120 minutes with Matt Pinfield, that was a huge moment. You know, uh, MTV was huge. You know, all that. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back on it sometimes. I'm like, oh my god, what a crazy ride it's been. And I'm also so grateful because, you know, everyone goes into their pity party. Oh man, this is. And all of a sudden, I'm like, God, come on. <laughs> you know, you got nothing to be bummed about. Don't let the guy calling you sir throw you down the <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> so you might have sleep apnea, but you fucking rock, bro. <laughs> you can still skate a half bike and have sleep apnea. Dude, I can do a frontside grind still, and I can wear a mask at night. I'm not afraid. <laughs> um, I, one of the things I'm curious about, and I've never asked any musician about, but I've heard stories and people talk about, um, and you as a musician who uh, has had the experience I'm about to ask about, and as someone from a label, I hope, how do bands get their songs on soundtracks? Because the second time I found, I, I d rediscovered, but the, like, there was, you know, California was the music video. And then it was the Mallrats soundtrack that Mallrats uh, that which is by the way if you are a a punk if you're a fan of '90s pop punk that Mallrats soundtrack is a beautiful collection of just obscure indie. Yeah, is it, isn't Face rock. to Face on that too? Face to Face is on that. Face There's to, a yeah. great cover of the Archies. Um, uh, Fill me up, Buttercup on there. Like it is a f really good pop like. In the '90s, there's th I think there's three spectacular soundtrack albums, and one of them is in the Mallrat soundtrack. The other one is Empire Records, and then the Crow soundtrack. Like those three are just masterful works of of needle drops, all collected. But yeah, on that for me, for the only one, the, another one I throw up there is the uh, Pump Up the Volume. Oh yes, uh, with, with Christian that Slater. version of Pixies, dude. The version of the Pixies doing. Um, you know, uh, oh, oh, God, what is that song? Um, guys, the fan, uh, drive my car into the ocean. And, uh, uh, God, what is that song? Hold on. Gotta do it. By the way, since we were talking about that, I wanted to bring it up, but I didn't want to distract. Is that I recently watched that movie and the, I still empathize with the teenage angst of that movie of like depression and dealing with too much stuff. And, uh, you know, Oh, dude, here you go. Uh, this song wave of mutilation. This was, this, this is all the reason wax exists. I mean, the reason that wax is, was even a band is because of the pixies straight up. Like, I mean, we, loved the pixies so much our guitar player i mean if you listen to wax you'll be like oh okay he's totally in love with the guitar player from the pixies and 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 i remember the guys in wax i had no idea who the pixies were and they had like no they were you know they weren't like i mean not that they weren't into the clash or they weren't into like punk rock and and stuff like that but like i was like oh man we got to listen to sham 69 we got to listen to the clash we got to listen to you know um this band out of San Jose called Los Habitados. And then like those guys were like, dude, you got to listen to the replacements. I'm like, what? And they got to listen to, you know, you got to listen to the Pixies. And like, I remember the Pixies to me were like, oh, wow. Like, okay, I get it. Debaser, all that stuff. That record Doolittle, we would listen to that. I mean, that was like a go-to. 
you know, and then our common ground was bands like Rocket from the Crypt, like that first <gasps> record, Circa Now. Dude, that's always, I mean, we just. I love that band so much, it, and so few people yeah. know who they are. I never oh my get God. to empathize with we other loved, people. I never we get loved to like, Rocket. Yeah. Like, I never get to listen to other people talk about Rocket from the Crypt. Oh. And I found out of them because there was, for some reason, their, their record, uh, RFTC, was a commercial on TV. And they played. Really? Yeah. It was just a commercial that kept coming on my TV, uh, on TV. And uh, it was uh, "Break It Up" was the song in the in that they used in this commercial for it, and I just went to the store. I saw it. All this the imagery all, was cool. Yeah. I bought it, and I've fallen in love with them. And I know so few of their fans. So I mean, for me, like obviously, Circuit Now was the first record that came out. But I just remember when 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 I was in Wax, you know, we loved Circuit Now so much that when we were on tour, we'd go to radio stations, and the radio guy would want us to play wax and we wouldn't play wax. We would play <laughs> rocket from the crypt circuit now. And this poor guy would call me on the road. And he'd be like, Joe, you did it again. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Cause you know what you did. Just tell me you're going to stop. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, so let me get this straight. You guys went into KFJC in Palo Alto and they had you on the air for an hour and you didn't mention about your record one single time and you played this band Rocket from the Crypt the whole hour. And I go, yeah. And he's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, because we love them. And he's just like, you got to stop doing that. I'm like, okay, we won't do it again. Fast forward like three weeks later, Joe, did you do it again? I'm like, no, we didn't. No, we would never do that. So that band we loved so much. And then when I when Wax ended and I started 22 Jacks, this band, this the the record uh, Scream Dracula Scream came out right when I started 22 Jacks. And this right here was so good best parts coming up right here best part adam on drums oh uh, there, I, i've, I've Dude, only got to see right them now. once in person uh, once in concert and i've never seen a band smile and clap so much to, along to their own songs. Uh, Dude, I'm telling you right so now. Brilliant. Yeah, if anyone ever sees me lose it at an airport, it, just put that music underneath me going nuts. Because <laughs> I had a moment like that recently, dude. I was flying to catch up with Jim Brewer. We were doing shows in Indianapolis and I, I flew into Phoenix, had a layover that was supposed to be an hour, of course. You know, we get there and they're like, you have your terminals 15 minutes away and your flight leaves in seven minutes. And there's just like, no way I'm going to make it. But I power, dude, I get all the way there and they're shutting the door and the woman just shuts the door. Go, hey, 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 I'm supposed to be on that flight. Sorry, I've shut the door. And I go, but the plane's right there. She's like, no, once the door's shut. And like, I get there's rules, but she loved telling me once the door's shut, you can't get on. I'm like, but I understand. But if you call the pilot, because I travel so much, I see it happen all the time. Mm -hmm. You call the pilot, tell him that I'm the last passenger. You guys were late. Not me. Not my fault. Le you know, nope. She, lady, she bails. And right then, I, I I had a moment and everyone in the gate is looking at me. It's a full airport. Everyone's staring at me like, what's this guy going to do? And I go, all right, man, I'm not going to freak out. And everyone kind of looks at me. I, go, I know right now you think it's a YouTube moment. I'm not going to do it. I want to. I tell you right now, I want to yell. I want to throw my bag. I want to take my shirt off. I want to go. Yeah, dude. I like, Everyone was doing that. And I go, I know. I know you guys. And like, everyone was like, oh, you're not. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And as I started to accept 
the fact that I wasn't going to make it to Indianapolis as planned. I was going to probably have to stay in Phoenix. I, I started accepting it as I was walking away and I hear behind me, sir, sir. And I turn around. There it is again. Not dude, not bro, <laughs> sir, sir. Are you tired? Is your heart rate down? No. Um, she, she, the woman in the back goes, um, the woman that was standing next to the woman that wasn't nice, that never said a word, waited for that woman to bail. And she goes, I've talked to the captain. They're going to let you on. See, I go, wow. You can do and so much go, more you by making someone so stay, much. by being that, that tiny little bit of kindness. Yeah. You can make someone's day. Like you're already frustrated. And I took you're a photo mad. with her and I just said, I just took a photo with her and I said, thank you so much, man. You know, uh, Delta friendly skies, let's go. Um, or whatever it was, but yeah. Um, you know, there's moments like that where you're just like, oh my God, are they going to think I'm going to freak out? But that would have been a moment where I'd freak out and you could put a uh, stuck in the middle underneath me and they'd be like, oh my God, this guy's smashing things. So what's the process of a band getting a song on a soundtrack? Is there, oh, is that, is, is there right a now. label conversation? Is there reaching out to bands? How does that process work? Two ways. Uh, the director loves your band and they're like, oh my God, I got to have stuck in the middle by rocket from the crypt right here. It's perfect for the scene. They wrote the scene with it in mind. Or you have um, a, a person, you know, at your label and they have a relationship with the people that go out there and do all of the sound. There's basically a job that you have um, where your, your gig is doing music placement and you're all day long working with directors. They're like, you know, like I kind of want something that sounds like Zeppelin, but I kind of want something that sounds like this. Okay. And they go through and they're like, oh my God. You know, we have this band that sounds like that. Or or in our case with Wax, it was the the guy that was working with our band had a great relationship with the people that were putting together that movie. And the guy was like, I want cool, you know, this and that. And he played some Wax. And the guy was like, yeah, have them come in and record a song. Little did we know it was going to be the title track for the, the movie, Mall Rats, you know. But they said, write a song. So we wrote a song called Mall Rats. Loomis wrote the lyrics. I sang it. See, that's what I understand. Sometimes those songs, you make a song for the, the, the thing. And then sometimes they just find something that the label, like the, the, the studio already has the rights to, and you just got to curate. It's nice to hear that there's a person that walks into these things. It's like, all right, what music are you looking for? Let me look through my 45s. That, I can tell you right now, as, it, <laughs> as an, as an owner of a independent record label, the sound placement person if you can find someone and develop a relationship with them, it is like developing a relationship with aliens because they are so hard to, because they, they, they hold the keys to that. And, and, and a place, the right placement in a movie, not alone, not alone as we learned from Dropkick Murphy's, you know, with, you know, shipping out to Boston uh, in, you know, in the film with DiCaprio and, you know, uh, the, the huge, the huge movie um, departed, you know, that was a game changer for the dropkick Murphys game. Huge. Did I say the Boston's? No. Yeah. It's game changer for the dropkick Murphys. You know, that was, that was when they were in departed, it was just, you know, <clears throat> I mean, it was huge. It was done. Um, so not only, you know, was it a game changer for them as a band, I'm sure they got a nice check from it, but it, you know, even if it's not a game changer for you as a band, as your popularity, you can get a nice check from being in, in a film like that. Like, you know, that licensing can be great. Um, and then let's, since we brought up uh, enough times about your record side, one dummy records that you and uh, Bill, Bill Armstrong, which by the way, I, Bill want, Armstrong. I want to point out uh, while doing research, it is very hard to Google Bill Armstrong, Joe Sib music and not get 
pages upon pages of Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Like, totally. <laughs> you put your names together into a Google search and it has no interest in you. And it's just like, did you mean Billy Joe Armstrong? Did you yeah. mean Bassia Case? Are you sure you're not yeah. talking about Boulevard of Broken Dreams? No, I'm not. Uh, so what does an, a, creating a label now as compared to creating a label in the 90s kind of have to be huge difference. I have to imagine it's easier. Oh, yeah. Now. But what was the impetus to creating a label in the 90s? And what was the process that you had to go through to create it? Because, I mean, I had friends in like 2005 that created a label. And what they did is they just made mixed CDs of all our local friends' bands, put it out, and kept all the money. That's. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the pro. I don't. I, I think that I think when you say it that way, it's still the same. You know, I mean, starting a label, I could. You know, so you know, starting a label, starting a label when I did it in 1995 meant uh, you had fax machines, you had uh, you had printers. Um, you know, you may have a computer, you may not. Um, cause that wasn't really a factor yet. Someone might have had a computer there, you know, like a bro unit knew to do QuickBooks for you. Um, the main thing that you were, it was still the same way that you're just saying starting a label it was the same way. It was just like, okay, cool. Let's just try to figure it out today. You know, it's all about like, Hey, I'm going to record my music at home. You have all this access to all of this great gear. So you're like, okay, here's my song. Okay, cool. I'm going to upload it to SoundCloud, SoundCloud. I'm going to upload it to this uh, format where it's going to be on all of the music platforms. I'm going to start an Instagram page. I'm going to start a Facebook page. Maybe not, but you know, I'm going to start a website, you know, and, and you can do, it's the same, it's the same uh, germ of the idea. I'm going to do it on my own. You know, I, I think in some ways it was easier when we, when maybe we started and in some ways it was probably harder, you know, like now I could start a, like, I wouldn't have to leave this little room. If I want to start a label, I could be like, okay, what's the name of my label? Or what's the name? Okay, I'm gonna put up my record out. Uh, okay, cool. So I got Josib.com. Okay, I'm gonna record the tracks. What's up? What's up? What's up? Okay, cool. I got that. Okay, I'm gonna upload that uh, CD, baby. I'm gonna press a couple CDs. I'm gonna make it on vinyl. Oh, let's let's get a Shopify for my uh, merch. Let's uh, let's get this. Let's get that. Okay, cool. I got all that set up. Okay, now I'm gonna put it out there for the world to see. I'm going to bed. Boom, you go to bed next day, you wake up. Whoa, dude, 500 people listened to it last night. Hey, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to email those people. Hey, man, saw that you listened to it. That's cool, man. Hey, do you mind sharing it? Oh, okay. Dude, no way. So-and-so's following us. Oh my gosh, he's so rad. Hey, man, it's Joseph. I saw that you liked, uh, you know, the 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 video or the song, man. Like, dude, would there be any way you could share it, man? You know, and they're, okay. oh my God, he shared it. Dude, so many, dude, I looked at Shopify. Dude, we're People are buying our shirts. Oh my God, this is killer. Dude, the video is doing good. Bum, bum, bum. Oh my God, dude, we just had 100,000 spins in the last month. Oh my God, that's amazing. Dude, our video is up to like 500,000. Oh my God, that's great. Should we go play live? I don't know. Let's put another song. Like it's that is the, it's the, do you understand? Cause, cause so that's the version you have today. And the version that we had when Bill and I started was dude, um, we should put out some seven inches. Oh, okay, cool, man. Hey dude, I saw that, um, you know, Tim from Rancid, um, I heard him talking about uh, that he likes the you know the odd numbers. Like, let's get him a seven inch. Okay, cool, dude. He totally liked it. Okay, cool. Hey, we should get these seven inches that we sold at these shows. Maybe they could be like distributed. Yeah, cool. There's this company you know called Gem, and they're going to distribute it. Or hey, there's this other company, Dutch East. What's that? I don't know. They distribute all of your records everywhere. Okay, cool. Let's go have a meeting with them, dude. They said they're going to take five hundred seven inches. No way. We got to press five hundred. Oh wait, if they don't sell, they send them back. Who cares? Send them the 500, you know? And then all of a sudden they're like, dude, we sold 200 of them and you only get 300 back. No way. We're going to pay you, 
you know, $2 a piece for the, I'm like, dude, we got a check for $400. We're stoked. Let's make another one. Hey man, let's, you know, like it, it's the same, like fly by the seat of your pants mentality. Um, but I think now with, you know, what you and I are doing here, you know, with the, with the technology, with everything, you can just make it more streamlined. But I still think the attitude of entrepreneurship and we're going to try to do something special still exists. And I think it's just the same attitude, but now you just have different tools and maybe those tools are even better. And some of them aren't, and some of them are. It's great to hear. Uh, that's, I love the excitement uh, because you know, that's going to bring up my, my I'm gonna, I was going to save this question for later uh, because I usually like to ask these heavy questions toward the end, but we're kind of on the thing yep. is that it doesn't sound like you're a person that suffers from anxiety. Oh, dude, I totally do. Well, uh, we talk maybe about in different every ways. morning because the fact that you're that you have the ability to reach out and talk to labels or reach out to fans and be like, hey, I love that you love that and share it. So many people that I know ha don't have that ability to advocate for themselves uh, or they get uncomfortable. I don't think that's I don't think so. Here's the deal. And I'm not I'm not an expert. And, and anyone that's listening, please don't get mad and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just saying this. This is my here you go. You ready? This is my personal opinion. This is my opinion. This is the opinion of me, me, Joseph. I don't think when you don't um, want to share your music with people, it's from anxiety. I think it's because you believe you're not worthy of okay. sharing that. Anxiety and might be the wrong word I'm using. So anxiety for me is anxiety for me is waking up in the morning and going, oh my God, why do I feel totally nervous? And I feel like I, I'm not going to be able to get out of bed today because I'm so worried about things that don't exist. And, you know, and, and, you know, and that's all like, you know, look at the last three years we've been through and, you know, you're, you're like, oh my God, this, you know, there's, there's a pandemic and there's a, you know, there's, you know, are people going to be able to work? Are people going to be able to pay their rent? You know, whatever, you know, like you just, that, that to me, I think is like that to me is anxiety where I'm, where these, where these thoughts get in the way of this thing moving forward. You know, that to me is like when I have an anxiety attack or a panic attack, I'm like, holy shit. I literally can't move right now because I, I got, I got so many thoughts of negativity in my mind. Um, and you're being the narrator in your head of that. Um, the idea of saying, Hey man, I want to send my music to this artist because I love them and I want them to share it. Oh no, I better not because I suck. That's just straight up not believing in yourself and 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 letting the outside world that's told you that you're not good and that you're not worthy of it just get in your head. And I think for a lot of entertainers, in order to get on stage, in order to be a musician, in order to be a comedian, that you do have to have a moment where you let go of that and you say, you know, yeah, and I hate, you know, you just have to say, fuck it. Like I, I am good enough. I, I think what I'm doing is good. Now, a lot of times, you know, that fuck it attitude, there's plenty of things I've been associated with that I was like, oh man, I wish we would have remixed that, you know, or, oh man, I wish, you know, we could have waited on that, you know, you know, but you have to have an attitude of like, you know what, I'm going to get it out there because I want people to hear it and I want people to see it and, and I don't care. And I think, you know, just that self uh, loathing thing. I think everyone has that, you know, and I think I have it, mm -hmm. you know, every, you know, last, last, yesterday, someone put a bit of mine up there. Um, and I know it's a good bit and people like it, but right away I see it and I go, Oh gosh, you know, 
it's not a smart bit. You know, I mean, I'm not smart like Kyle Kinane. Like he's smart. He's a funny, smart comedian. And man, I wish I was more like Matt Bronger, you know, and man, those guys are great. And man, I mean, it's not like a Bill Burr, but you know, like you just start, you just start, if you're not careful, you just start beating yourself up instead of you're like, no, people like it. You know, it's good. Just don't go down that road. And I think as, as musicians and as artists and as people that do, whether it's acting or comedy or any of that stuff, there has to be a moment where you, you have to say to yourself and everyone around you, no, I, I, I love what I do and I think I'm good at it. And I want to get it to someone that can possibly uh, get it in front of another set of eyes that can help me grow what I'm doing. That's all you're doing. You know, it's like, even like the joke I said to you earlier, like, yeah, you know, I reached out to Ken Casey cause you know, we've known each other forever. And I was like, dude, I'm coming to Boston. And like, bro, if you could throw up a bit of mine on the DKM's fucking Instagram, that would stoke me out. You know, like that's how I got the Lars Fredrickson tour because Lars and I grew up together and he just started sharing my comedy. And, and it was a game changer. I went, you know, it was like, you know, you go to bed one night and you're like, oh dude, I woke up. Why are all these followers here? And you're like, you know, and you're like, oh shit, Lars, you know, from Rancid shared, you know, this me doing my thing. And now there's 200 people that I didn't know who, they, they discovered me, you know? And that to me is like when the, when social media works that way, it's so crazy. It's like, you know, when it, when, when you connect with a group of people, you know, like I've connected with this group of people for the last hour and 12 minutes. Like I really feel, you know, they're going to be like, man, I love that guy. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, like, you know, I, I feel like that can happen. I have, it's, it's weird. Me as a comedian, I have no problem going on stage in front of, 300, 400, in my wildest dreams, I'll be go in front of 400 or whatever. Like the largest crowd I've ever performed for is like 300. But I mean, I have no problem going in front of large groups of people and talking. But I have problems if I see one or two or three, there's a couple guys in this Boston area that if they're in that audience, I crumble. I lose all my self-confidence. I, I stammer, I stutter, and I lose it. And I yeah. get more nervous performing in front of them than other people. And it's it's a weird place of anxiety because I grew up in the music scene. I managed a bunch of uh, punk bands in the early 2000s and I will say shout out CD baby that you mentioned. We, I had two, two, two bands. We put our, we distributed our record, printed it all through CD baby. And I just found yep. out a couple weeks ago that these bands haven't even been together for almost 15 years and CD baby still put all their music on Spotify. And we printed these, these albums long before Spotify was ever invented. I just discovered my, two old friend bands that I used to manage their music on Spotify. That was never there that we didn't even know it was going to go on, but CD yeah. very awesome. Uh, I, I have my, my friends who are musicians that say, I can't do what you do. Dennis, I can't go out on stage and just talk. I can hide behind my guitar. I can hide behind my lyrics. And it's blows my mind. Cause I'm like, you're on stage bearing your soul and emotion to people. How can you not? I'm just telling stories about that time. Uh, we were at a party and somebody lit their hair on fire and broke a beer bottle over their head to put it out. Uh, that's all that I'm doing. I'm not showing any real emotion, uh, but it's it's interesting how many performers have different levels of performance anxiety like that. Yeah, th that definitely exists, you know, definitely. I mean, I, you know, uh, I've never struggled with that, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel for the people that do. I mean, anyone that struggles with anxiety, any of that stuff, I mean, that stuff's real, you know, is is as you know, as you continue the journey, you have those moments where you may struggle with those type of issues that you never had before. And you look back and go, Oh, wow. You know, I didn't understand 
th- that this is as complicated as it is and people are struggling with that. So like, you know, I'll see, you know, like whether it's someone that, you know, struggles with performance anxiety or just anxiety in general. I mean, all that stuff's real. And unfortunately the world we live in, I don't know, man, there's just a lot of stuff being thrown at our brains all day long, whether it's the news, whether it's, you know, texts from everybody, emails from every, it's just a lot, man. You know, I just, it's at a certain point, it's like, there's, I just think it's, it's too many people knocking. Hey man, Hey, did you enter this? Hey, can you answer that? Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you sign up for that? Hey, can you do this? Hey, it's time for that. Uh, 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 uh. You know, it's it's too much. Well, did you, the journey from switching from musician to comedian, how did you find your way from one medium to the other? Was there a learning curve? Was there stumbling? Was there, hey, look, singing in front of people is the same as telling stories in front of people. How did that transition work for you? I mean, the transition for me was the whole, ever since I was, you know, ever since I was, you know, in a band or before I was in a band, I was always, you know, I don't want to say like I was always in the stand-up comedy, but I was, comedy was always a go-to with me. You know, I was, when I was growing up, I was, you know, I was, I wasn't the most athletic dude. I wasn't the most, you know, I grew up uh, in Santa Cruz, California, and I was in a really, really small Catholic um, school. And, you know, if you weren't bright, the definitely there was, a, um, there was definitely, a, you know, you, you, you stood out as like, okay, you're not the smart kid. So, you know, you're in the back of the room or you're in the front of the room because they had to keep an eye on you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of slid into that zone where, you know, you're in the same classroom with the same 30 kids for, you know, eight years. So for me to kind of develop my personality or to, I think, uh, get out of situations that might've been awkward or tense. I always deferred to, to, to comedy. I always would make someone laugh, you know, even when, you know, with my mom and dad, I would always, you know, I'd make them laugh. And that would be kind of my way to maybe deal with a situation that wasn't pleasant at the time. And, you know, I think, I think I just kind of always had that. So then, you know, when I got into punk rock and got into my first band and you're up on stage and I just, was able to kind of channel that energy a little bit in, in my bands and not that we were like a funny band, but I always had fun on stage. So then it kind of was the natural progression. Like when I moved to LA, I remember that when I first moved here, just because I was just hanging around, I didn't, I wasn't in a band yet. And I was like 23 years old and I was just hanging out. Um, people thought I was a comedian. They're like, Oh man, are you a comic? And I'm like, no, why? And they're like, I don't know. You're just so funny. you know, you, you just tell the stories and you do, I was like, no, nah, I've never, I'm a, I'm trying to get a band together. So then, you know, as the years went on and I was in my bands and I did all that, it was just kind of a natural progression. Like everyone at a certain point, you know, went and picked up the acoustic guitar and started doing that. And I just knew that that wasn't going to work for me because a, you know, I'm not like an acoustic guitar player and B it just wasn't, I don't know. I just didn't, I just couldn't imagine myself like doing that. So then when I started doing standup, what I loved about it was like, it was so foreign to me and none of my peers, at least that I had grown up with were doing that. You know, they weren't, they weren't like, I was totally doing something that like was totally foreign, you know? And, um, and I remember at first, I remember like some of the people that like my, you know, some friends were like, they were kind of bummed. Like, so wait, let me, you're not going to play music. You're going to do standup. You know, cause standup is kind of looked, you know, it's not it's an insulted um, art. It's an insulted yeah, art. Yeah, it's but it's also like the lowest like the bar is set so low with stand-up comedy. It's like 
you know, my dad said to me once, he's like, oh my God, like anyone can be doing stand up. Like, you know, you go to an open mic, he's like, this is brutal. Like, you know, like this guy that's living, a homeless dude could just come in and be like, yeah, I'm stand up, sign me up. You know, and they just say crazy things into the microphone. And, you know, and it is, you know, it's like, you know, you're, you know, Greg Gerardo said it best. It's like, yeah, you're, you're going on stage to entertain people that are eating nachos and chicken wings. You know, it's, it is, it's, you know, it's definitely the lowest, like, I think even Greg Gerardo said that like lowest common denominator of entertainment in the sense that it's, you know, it's definitely, there isn't a, there isn't a bar set for you to get in there. Like, obviously, you know, if you continue to do it, you have to be funny, but you know, when you first start out, it's like, you know, that's why there's so many people doing comedy. You know, they're like, I, you know, I'm going to do comedy. So, and you're definitely setting yourself up. It's not, it's, it's, it's a workout. You know, the, the hustle of comedy is a workout. It's any, I always say to people, I'm like, either you love it or you don't, there's no like in between. Cause if, if there's an in between, you won't get good, you know? And if you, and if you, and honestly, if you want to get good, you have to make serious sacrifices that I, that I think I'm only learning about now that I made, you know, like, you know, you're, if you're doing comedy three, four nights a week, you know, you're not at home, you know? And, and I started when my kids were young and I'd wait till they went to bed and then I'd go out and then I didn't do weekend shows until they were older. So like, I didn't miss out on like the sleepovers and the like pizza night. Like I was there for all of that, but you know, in a strange way, you know, are you there for that? Because you're still thinking about, okay, I got a gig on Tuesday. And if I, you know, you're just always like, for me with stand up, I'm always thinking about it. I mean, I mean, like, even as I was sitting here, I'm like, oh, I'm doing a set tonight. And there's this new bit I was going to do. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm looking down at these notes and I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I got to, I got to try that. But like, I'm talking to you, but I'm still looking at a bit that I want to do tonight. So it's, you know, I've never done drugs ever in my entire life, but stand up has totally um, like I'm addicted, full on. Need to go to a meeting. Hi, my name is Joseph. I'm a stand up comedian. <laughs> well, I think- I'd like to, you know. I mean, where else do you do an art? You know, like where else do you do something that'll take you to a sandwich shop? Does a show on Sundays? It's underneath the bridge, and they also change the oil in your car. <laughs> but there's going to be a spot available. Like that's a comic. You know, like you hear about like drug addicts, like, dude, the guy went under the bridge and then like he went down this little gate and then underneath there, there was a tunnel and there was all these people shooting up heroin. I'm like, can I do a spot in there? Because <laughs> there's a mic. I'll do it. Who books like, it? Are they cool? Yeah. Who books it? Like, <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I think uh, what separates stand up from all the other art forms is it's the only one you have to fail in public to be good at. You can't yeah. create comedy in a vacuum. Like as a band, you could sit at home, learn to play the guitar, yep. take lessons, become good at it, write a song, practice it over and over and over until it's perfect, and then go out and play it and never show anyone your flaws. Same thing with paintings. Yeah. You never have to show anyone your bad paintings. Uh, you can throw them out. You know, you don't have to paint in front of people. Comedy, you have yeah. to fail in front of people to find what works. You have to learn how to write a joke by making people laugh over and over and over again. That's when you figure out the structure of setup punchline or what makes a good yeah. punchline or what makes a good act out. Or you, you can then, figure out how much time is in between punchlines without being out there in front of people and timing, putting and on the stopwatch. That tug, it's that, it's that tug, it's that, yeah, it's that tug of war with the audience. You know, it's like, you know, um, and you have to do it all the time. You have to be doing it all. Like you can't get good at stand up by, 
I get up once a month. You know, I, you can't get good at stand up. I get up, you know, twice a week. It's like, you know, you got to get up yeah. all you, the time. You can't practice you can't at home. Try, you can do, can't practice at home. You could put your 10,000 hours into the guitar at home and nobody ever hear yeah. you. You got to be I tell on, people that all the time. You got to put your 10,000 hours in and face. face there to you face. go. Face to face. <laughs> um, when it comes to, all right, so you've, as a musician, opened for other bands. And now as a comedian, you have opened for other bands. How is that as a comedian opening for a band? Because I've, I've done it myself where I've you know done mix open mics or had friends ask me to come open, do stand up for their band. And I've been lucky enough that most of them have gone pretty well, but I've also heard horror stories of people going out. It might even been, I might even be repeating Jim Brewer's bit where it's, he goes out and opens for, you know, does stand up before Iron Maiden. All they want is Iron Maiden. And you're just some dude doing goofs between yeah. them and Iron Maiden. Has that been your experience or has your experience been more positive? Because opening for punk, I feel like the punk audience are always more open and open-minded and welcoming than metal audiences. I feel, I would say, I, yeah, I would, I would say this to answer your question. When I first, when I like 12 years ago, when I'd get asked to open up for a band, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go well because the audience wasn't, where they are today, comedy is so much bigger than it was 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Comedy has changed in so many different ways. The, the festivals, the shows and comedy before musicians now is it's not a thing of like, Oh my God, that won't work. You know, Ryan Adams had comedians out with him. Um, you know, when we did the, when, when Jim and I did the Metallica tour together, you know, they invited Jim Brewer out there and it worked, you know, it was, it was killer. Um, and then, so then when I was first going out, and doing shows with bands, it, it wasn't where it is today. And now, when I like when I just finished those dates with Lars from, um, you know, with Lars with Rancid, those shows were great. And the audience was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the best mix ever!" Because we came to see Lars. We don't want to see a band before him. And you know, you're what you're doing and what you're talking about totally fits like where we're at. And I was able to tailor my set to make it so it was more music oriented. But for the most part, I was, you know, I just did my stand-up set and it connected with that audience. Um, I also feel like that I just feel like that didn't exist 12 years ago. Like people were like, they still were waiting for the opening act. Where now it's just so not uncommon, it's not uncommon for for a comic to go out with like a musician. It has to be the right show. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think, you know, I mean, Gaslight Anthem brought me out with them once. That was super fun. Joey from Lagwagon brought me out. That was super fun. Um, I think the best response so far was opening for Lars just because we really took the time to let people know that Lars is bringing a comedian and people knew like they got there on time. Like, yeah, man, we're going to see the comedian. Cool. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't get to see you when you were in Boston uh, because I ended up booking a gig myself that night. Uh, but my friend saw you the night before in Baltimore and I texted okay. them about it. Like, Hey, how was the show last night? They're like, Oh, Lars is great. Blah, blah, blah. This is like, how was the comedian? And I was like, Oh, that guy was hilarious. And I'm like, thank <laughs> God. Like, I, like my yeah. friends know that, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a punk guy going into the world of comedy. That's where I, my life lives. Like they, they, they know that I'm not keeping up with music as much as I want to, because I'm too busy listening to comedy yeah. albums, listening to podcasts and doing that. And I feel bad that I'm not as up to date on music the way I used to be 15 years yeah. ago when I worked in radio and managed bands and was doing yeah. everything. music. My life revolves around music. Now it revolves around comedy. So it's, it, they knew how important it was to me that if I'm asking who this comedian was uh, or if they enjoyed it, they know how important it is. I'm like, yes, 
He was good. Relax. We enjoyed him as well. Like, yeah, I feel like cool. me t- saying, hey, the comedian you saw last night, did you like him? Is the same way as me bringing is like, hey, here's a band I really like. Listen to this mixtape of their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, the, the, the dates with Lars were killer. So, I, I mean, now here's the thing I wonder, because you're at a level where you grew up with a lot of contemporaries who are famous as, as well. Uh, like mm-hmm. everyone, uh, everyone knows the band Rancid, you know, they may mm-hmm. not, you know, Lars Fletcher has a huge audience, but then there's people like Metallica. Yeah. And I am a person I've worked in the arts my entire life. I don't usually get starstruck. Although, um, um, what's his name from, what's the lead singer from Goldfingers? What's the lead singer? John name? Feldman. Yes. Uh, I, I am not a person that gets starstruck. Although John Feldman from Goldfinger will tell a different story. The first time I met him at a vegan <laughs> cheesesteak shop in Philly. But I, cause yeah. I look at, at we're contemporaries. I have to be professional around them and stuff like that. You grew up with a lot of people who are in the industry as well. They're all around you, but then there's Metallica. Do you look at Metallica as contemporaries or are they one of the one people that's on that level? Where you're like, Oh my God, I'm hanging out with James Hetfield backstage before going to open. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Metallica. It's just that Metallica is just on a whole other level. You know, even it, like it's, it'd be the equivalent of like, you know, it's like, let's, you know, you're a Catholic your whole life. And then you're like, Hey man, I want to introduce you to someone. And you're like, who's this? This is Jesus. <laughs> what? Dude, are you serious? And he's like, he's in the robe. He's like, what's up, man? And you're like, dude, no, dude, that thing on Easter. Pretty crazy how you can't, you know, like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm, it was, you can't escape the magnitude and the, the impact, you know, musically, culturally. And then for me, you know, I grew up in the Bay area. So my first experience, you know, with Metallica was, was, you know, being a kid at a show at the on Broadway, seeing a band like crucifix. And in the audiences, you're like, oh, the metal guys are here. And that would be like James and Lars. And you're like, wow. And then all of a sudden that band, you know, goes on to turn into what they did. And they were such a Metallica for me was, it was more, I'm more of a fan of their story and the way they did it than I am actually of the music. Like, I Mm -hmm. love the music. Like, dude, kill them all, ride the lightning, master of puppets. Like, dude, sign me. I'm in. I'm like, let's go. I'm into it. Um, you know, in even the bigger records, um, you know, garage days, that was one of my, I mean, I know it's not the bigger record, but I love garage days, Dude, but like, I, you're, I'm going to tell, to say something to you that you're going to you know, hate me for is that injustice I, for all, I prefer load and reload uh, to the rest of the albums, just cause that yeah. musically style was more my, my jam. Yeah. People love, people love all that. But, but, but what I'm saying is this, t- I can take away all the music and just be more of a, more of a, a nerd and fan on the story of of how they did it how it all came together and 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 their story like that to me and then also seeing just the impact of their music on people's lives and then getting the chance to you know for me going on the road and touring with them and getting that opportunity because you know jim you know it wasn't it wasn't like they asked me they asked jim brewer and then what was great is you know jim is a solid human being and, you know, he had the opportunity, he could have brought anyone he wanted, but he was like, Hey man, you're a music guy. You know, you, you know, you're from this world, like you're a comic, like, you know, could you, you know, you should go and we should figure out, you know, I got some ideas of what I want to do, but like, I need a guy like you to like, make sure like we get these ideas done, you know, cause Jim's, 
you know, the thing that's great about Jim Burr is he's, he's doing so many different things. You know, he's, he's, it's like, that's what makes him, you know, the comic that he is. He's, he's always, whether it's new material or improving this, blah, 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 blah. He's doing so much stuff. So when I got to go out on the road, it meant more to me to be on that tour because of growing up in the Bay area. You know, I saw them on the injustice for all tour when they played three nights at, you know, Cal Palace, that was a big deal. Saw him at Shoreline as a kid. Like I saw them go from like the clubs into the huge venues. And um, I just, I, I don't know, I had like this connection with them, but it wasn't musically. It was more about their career. Like I really respected the way they did it. And they always, you know, did it on their terms. At least that's what it felt like to me. And I really, I love that. And then to go out on the road with them. And honestly, from top to bottom, the guy that, you know, drove the bus to moving the gear to, you know, the, the tour manager, the li lighting, everyone that worked with them all the way to the top of the band, there was not one person that wasn't the best at what they did. I mean, it was like touring with NASA. I mean, these people were so cool and so professional. There was never a moment in the entire six months something weird or sketchy happened. I mean, everyone carried themselves in such a great way. And then the thing I'd say is this, man, I, you know, I was, I was front row center to watching Metallica and the way they operated. And they always did a meet and greet before the show. And I, you know, a lot of times the meet and greet was on the other side of my dressing room. So like there's this little thin wall and I could hear them. I could see them talking to their fans and, you know, it'd be like say 25, 30 people that had, you know, paid, you know, a certain amount of money to come in there. And, and dude, these guys didn't just roll through, sign a couple of things and go out. I mean, they're in there for an hour, dude, shaking hands, telling stories, talking, laughing. I mean, if you're a fan of that band, you were like, like you were meeting these guys and they weren't phoning it in. And they did that every single night. And of course, you know, James might cut out of there a little earlier than, and then, you know, Robert and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Kurt, but then, the guy that always stayed the longest was, was Lars. And he would just, and I remember like he had this personality where he would, you know, like love or hate Lars. Like for me, I have nothing but respect because he was so cool to me. And, and just, he has this thing about him when he's talking to you, he literally makes you feel like you're the only person, you know, and he has this in, impeccable memory, you know, like he just, just, you know, like when I met him, he's like, he's like, oh, hey, man, you're oh, Joe Sib, cool. You know, like side one dummy records, cool, like punk rock. And I'm like, wow, like he did his research. Oh, wow. And I remember one night, like we had a night off on tour and I headlined my own show. And, um, and the next day, Lars was bummed because I didn't invite him. He's like, he's like, bro, you invite everyone from the tour. They all went. And then I'm sitting here and, and tonight, I, today I find out you killed it and you didn't invite me. And I was like, would you have gone? He's like, yeah. I'm like, really? You would have come down to the, the show. And he's like, yeah, I totally would have. And I'm like, I was just like, and you know what? A lot of me, you know, a lot of people say, dude, he wouldn't go. But that, there's, I was like, I think he would have went, you know, like it was just, I don't know. They, and, and, and just the, the way they handled themselves, I just tripped out on it, man. I just, it was really, it was crazy. Like they, they just, they let us do whatever we wanted to, man. I mean, they never, they never once had a suggestion to Jim. They never once, if something didn't go well, say like, oh, don't do that again. Like they would just laugh with us about it or, <laughs> you know, like they never, like even the music I was playing, man, like I remember like 
Lars was like, dude, did you like, you know, I remember once I played like deep purple or another night. I, I remember one night I, I, I played a uh, prong and like the manager for the band, you know, just comes, you know, this guy named Mark Ryder, super cool dude. But like I was tripping out because I just played the pistols into prong and, and he comes running over to me and I'm, you know, when I see him coming over, you know, cause I was on the floor and all the fans are around me and I'm just, you know, spinning. And um, he goes, did you just play the sex pistols into prong? <laughs> and I go, yeah. And I'm expecting him to go like, Hey man, do not do that again. And he just looks at me, he goes, fuck yeah. And just disappears. <laughs> You know, I was like, okay. That's nice to I'm hear like, good stories about them because we we see so much bad things from Lars uh, when it came to that whole, like, back in the day of downloading music stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's like they say now, Lars was right. I mean, there's so many of those signs. Yeah. You know, everywhere you go, it's like, you know, Lars took it to the chin saying, you, my music shouldn't be for free. And then now look at all the artists are like, dude, they're yelling at YouTube. Pay us more money. Taylor Swift like, you know, re-recorded an entire album just so she could get paid for her songs. Yeah. I mean, you know, all Lars said was, I don't want to give away my music. Like, you know, it's my music. Can't you just pay for it? Everyone got bummed at him, you know, um, and it sucked. But I mean, dude, you see those signs. Lars was right. You know, it's like, that's like a sign, you know? Uh, and then one final question, and then we'll do some sure. screenshots, and then we'll- Because we'll I, got the, I got the doctor's, doctor's appointment, appointment dude. Uh, so the last question is, uh, as a person who's been uh, on tour, you're from the West Coast, but during the 90s, uh, 80s and 90s, Boston here was a mecca for punk rock music. You've Fuck been yeah, here before the tour, uh, it with bands as a comedian. Is there a memory of Boston that sticks out in your mind the most? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's it's it has nothing to do with me playing. Um, OK, you're going to have to help me with the club. Um, OK, let's go through. It's a bigger venue. Um, it's like, oh gosh, uh, it's not, it's not down by the ballpark. It's a little ways away. It's not TT the bears or something like that. Um, it's the middle like, east. Give me, no, keep going. Uh, it's like, Sinclair? Would, nope. Keep going. It's like, uh, it's like a, there's a paradise? stage in there. Pair is the paradise, like a bigger venue. It's kind of like a medium no, paradise is, is, is the paradise down, um, down, uh, downtown. It's like West Boston. It's like in Alston. It's right around the corner from me. You have the paradise. But is it like how many people would fit in the paradise? 1,500 maybe. Okay. It's not that big. This is like 400, 500 people. You know, anyway, it, the name escapes me. It might come back to me in a little bit, but I was out there and oddly enough, uh, we recorded the wax, the song that you talked about, uh, California and all that. We recorded it at the Fort Apache. So we're working with Paul Coldery, Sean Slade in Boston. At this point, I know nothing about the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones except all their records were recorded there. I'd never met them. Um, and Lemonheads recorded with there. The guys had just recorded, um, they had just recorded uh, Radiohead, Pablo Honey. So they were coming off that and they were going to do the whole record. So we go out there to make the record. And at that point, I was super, super tight with Tommy Stenson from The Replacements. And it was The Paradise. And we, he's coming through and he's like, yeah, man, you know, Bash and Pop, we're playing at The Paradise. And I'm, I'm like, awesome. So I go all the way down there. Obviously, he's the bass player from the replacements. And it was when Paul Westerberg was doing the Paul Westerberg band. And then Tommy Stenson was doing his thing. So then I go down there and I show up because I don't have anything to do that day. And the band, we just got into Boston to start recording. So I showed up there at around noon. And um, I start drinking with Tommy. Tommy's not really drinking, but I'm drinking beers. And then as it gets closer to the show, I start diving in some Jaegers. So by the time Tommy Stenson goes on stage, I'm like, I'm in the game. And that night I had this like red collared shirt on and um, 
all I remember was the whole time Tommy was on stage, I was like grabbing his mic. I ruined the show. I'm grabbing his <laughs> mic. I'm throwing ice on him and he's drunk and everyone knows that I got him drunk. And we just, the show was just a debacle. And I end up getting thrown out of the venue. The, the security takes my head and just opens the door with it. Everyone flipping me off. All of Boston's music scene was there. They're like, fuck that guy. Um, next day I wake up and I'm like, wow, man, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to figure out like what happened last night. And you know, my band proceeds to tell me, yeah, dude, you just, you, you ruined the show. I'm like, oh my God. So now I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, won't ever see those people again. So then we go and we record the record. And at the end of the month, um, I'm like, no way. Paul Westerberg's coming to town. <laughs> I'm going to go to the show. And you know, he's the other half of the replacements. So Basically, I didn't put two and two together. Everyone that went to go see Tommy Stenson a month later now has come back to see Paul Westerberg at the same venue. And who's there? Me. People are coming up to me the entire show. Fuck you. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you? I don't even know that guy. And it was all remnants from what I had done at the Tommy Stenson show. I, this is going to be a deep Boston's cut, but I feel like they wrote a song about that exact incident for you because they have a song uh, uh, called What, Why, Where, I think it is. I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a song about a guy who goes to a bar. Oh, I love this place. Everyone's my friend here. And they're like, what do you mean? I've I've never been here before. Why, why are you kicking me out? What did I do last yeah. time I was here that I don't remember? Yeah. No, that was totally, that was it. Awesome. All right. Well, it is great talking to you. This was, it was fun to talk about. Dude, music. thank you so oh, much, my man. Pleasure. I really appreciate it. Uh, I can't wait to see you. Uh, and I will not book any gigs myself just so I can be in the audience October 21st and 22nd. Uh, so I can see you in person and as well as everyone else who should be listening to this, please go to nickscomedystop.com and get tickets to either October 21st or October 22nd or both to see Joe Sam yeah. in person. Let's do it, man. And thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm glad we finally figured this out. I really appreciate it. Oh, dude, I, I'm, I'm always patient with trying to figure people's schedules out because we all are living lives and we have so much. Going dude, I on. can't believe we went an hour, 40 minutes. That's too much, dude. <laughs> for anyone that's listening to this, man, uh, you know, don't, I know you're going to go to my Instagram and be like, Oh my God, what I can never have that hour and 41 minutes back. I apologize <laughs> in advance. Thank you, Dennis. You're the greatest. See you guys look at my life dude this week has been so gnarly i found out that uh they were like you you might have sleep apnea and then the, i was just like what and then they're like yeah because your heart rate gets super low and i'm like whoa you start talking about your heart rate and then the biggest bummer is i went into the surf shop to buy some wax and the kid behind the 
the cash register called me sir. <laughs> I so I don't know what I'm more bummed about. Well, all right. So you, I don't know. Like I don't. I'm not worried. I'm like I, I can deal with the low heart rate. I can wear the Darth Vader mask. But now I'm a sir. sir. <laughs> you're not in a one dude. week. This happened. You're not in a dude week. anymore. You're and then you're I sir. started saying to him, I go, oh, I go, nah, man. I go, dude, you, you can call me bro. He's like, no, sir. I'm like, no, you, dude. Well, dude. You can call me bro. And he's like, no, sir. I, I'd rather call you sir. And I go, hey, look, dude, I am a fucking bro. He's like, now you're scaring me, sir. Sir, I'm going to have to call the police. I'm going to have to ask you to leave, sir. Yes, he said. Sir, this is getting uncomfortable. You need to slow down because your heart rate is going fast enough well, and you should go to bed. On that, do you feel like, obviously, you're feeling the effects of being an aging punk rocker. Like, it's that is one of those things that we don't know how to deal with because- like I know there was a couple years ago somebody making a joke about they're gonna there's eventually gonna be a grandfather who listens to Dr. Dre, you know. But at the same time, we're becoming a, a, adults with you know former face piercings and crazy hair. Jim Brewer and always jokes around he's gonna be in assisted living, you know, and they're gonna like okay, it's five o'clock, put on Metallica, and they're all gonna go around a little circle pit with their with their little chairs, their walkers, you know, and there'll be a guy in a little. One of those little rascals jamming around to, you know, ride the lightning. Come on, let's do this. You know, um, doing donuts yeah, with a rascal in the uh, in the community yeah. room of the old folks home. There you go. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know, man. Sleep apnea. I don't know. It's, it might be new. I might have it. Uh, I had it and I beat it by losing uh, 70 pounds. So, wow. Yeah, I did. I had sleep apnea not because I have problems with breathing. I have it because I'm fat and I like cake. That was my problem. Dude. Well, you know what? Uh, kudos to you for losing the weight. I'm stoked. I don't have to lose the weight. It's, I guess they said it's because, um, what, I guess what, what I'm doing is I just stop breathing at, at night. It's like, dude, I think I'm just, I'm like, yeah, cause I'm sleeping. I don't want, I don't want to do that. <laughs> even your, even your body wants to take off. Yeah. I'm like, dude, let's take a break. Well, oh my God, this has been the greatest interview ever. We've talked about, uh, <laughs> ska sleep apnea. We've talked about um, James Hatfield playing ska music. <laughs> talked about Spike Jones. Honestly, all right, now let's get serious. I've never had October twenty first, twenty second. Never had such an interview that is all of my interest all wrapped up in one guest. <laughs> what are you into? Metal and sleep apnea. I got to tell you. Um, all right, so uh, 